many of us are like, I need to get rid of this. Listen, I'm single. I can't wait to be married. You're married. I'm like, I hope that they go home early or whatever, you know. And listen, I make light of it. But listen, I've been around people long enough to realize that a lot of people feel that way. Just looking again. Oh, I, I couldn't wait to have kids. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And then we have kids. We're like, I can't wait for them to get out of the house and pay their own way. Right? We need to dial that back and say, God, who are you? God is the judge of all the earth and he can do what he sees fit. That's hard for us to come to terms with because we want our own way. As we follow Jonah, we've seen how God either delivers or destroys. Today, Pastor Daniel will continue to teach us about how similarly we deal with God in the same way as Jonah. His experience seems far removed from our own, but it's not. God uses our circumstances to teach us about himself and ourselves. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Who's the Bigger Rebel? So he's like, look, and you know what? A false prophet in that day would get stoned with rocks, not with weed. Now it's like that type of capital punishment. And so, and listen, man, we live in Washington in 2014. I got to make sure I clarify with you guys. So it could be that, but it's really, Jonah was so angry. In a lot of ways, my friends, this is why as a church, as we were praying about what we're going to engage in from a cross-cultural missions perspective, the only place our hearts landed was in the Muslim countries because they're our own personal Ninevites. It's interesting that Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. We realize that the Muslim countries for Americans is a lot like the Ninevites for Jonah. It's the same thing, same picture. But we don't want to make the same mistake that Jonah made. Now, notice God's response in verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? No, I love that about the Lord. Do you ever realize that the Lord has a selective hearing? The Lord doesn't even address Jonah's melodramatic, Lord, just kill me. The Lord, and I love that about the Lord, because, and listen, I want to encourage you, sometimes you need to have selective hearing too. Now, husbands, don't pull that out with your wives later, because I know you guys, you guys are, you guys are sneaky. You'd be like, oh, it's like, you weren't listening. Well, Pastor Daniel said sometimes we have to use selective hearing. But if you watch the way Jesus walks in the Gospels, he doesn't address the smokescreen. He always gets to the heart of the matter. And I think a lot of times in our relationships, in our conversations, in our sharing of the gospel, we get off on rabbit trails because we take all the smokescreen stuff rather than focusing down on what's the heart of the matter. See, God doesn't even address Jonah's, oh, Lord, just take me. He just says, is it really okay for you to be angry? And I love that because you notice it's a leading question of the Lord. He's not saying, Jonah, it's wrong of you to be angry. He's saying, Is it really okay for you to be angry? God leads Jonah with just a question. Is it okay? Now, what happens next? We find God is trying to teach Jonah. Because look at what happens in verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city and... The Lord God prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might shade 
might be shaved for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, is it better for me to die than to live? Now, this is the kind of strange thing that goes on, right? But what does it teach us? It teaches us that life is one big lesson. Life is one big lesson. Your life and the circumstances of your life is actually God's curriculum to grow you up in your most holy faith. See, the circumstances of Jonah's life is meant to teach him the lessons that God is wanting to teach him. And I think oftentimes, for many of us, we're so busy asking God for a sign that we are missing out on all the things that God is doing right where we live, at street level right now. In a lot of ways, God, although he does miraculous things, he teaches us the most in the mundane things. People always say, I want to grow. It's like, well, are you starting to enjoy the mundane parts of your job, of your marriage, of parenting? of singlehood, of school. See, often the answers to our prayers are actually right there. God does not want to change our circumstances often. God wants to change us in the midst of our circumstances. And Jonah is sitting there with the Lord, and he doesn't even realize that God is doing all of this. Because look at what happens. In verse 5, Jonah goes out of the city, and he sits on the east side of the city, and he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what might become of the city. So it's almost like Jonah's like, he's mad. He knew God was going to forgive him, but he's got this little bit of hope that God is still going to judge it. He says, I'm going to watch. Maybe God's going to just judge the city. And he goes out and he waits. But then over and over and over again, notice verse 6, the Lord God prepared a plant in verse 7, but as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. Verse 8, and it happened as the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. Now, this is one of the themes of the book of Jonah, isn't it? The sovereignty and authority of God over all things. God came with a word for Jonah. God brought a storm. God prepared a fish. God spoke to the fish and it puked up Jonah. See, God's sovereignty over everything, that it was God's calling to send Jonah. It was God because of the storm. It was God because of the fish. It was God because Jonah was alive. And it was God that they repented. And now Jonah's there waiting. And then God prepares a plant. Or some of your translations have a gourd or a vine. The word is kind of weird in the Hebrew. And nobody really knows exactly what it is. Some rabbis said it was a castor oil plant. I don't know if that means anything to any of you. I saw a picture of it. Didn't mean a whole lot to me either. But God prepared some sort of a, a horticultural structure that shaped, you like that? I just pulled that out of recall. It's amazing. To be shade for Jonah. And Jonah was blessed by it. And then the next day, God prepared a little worm and it ate that little thing and it was gone. And then Jonah was upset about it. And then God sent an east wind, which is commonly called a Sirocco, 
which was a type of wind that hit the desert. It would, made, it would wipe people out just physically. You'd feel totally parched, totally exhausted, very common in that part of the world. All of these things are prepared by God. Now, it's interesting because not only does it show God's sovereignty, it also shows that God can use big things and small things. Because the idea of this big plant or this big windstorm or a little worm, it shows us that God can do whatever he wants to do with whatever he wants to use. God can use something huge or something tiny. And really, I think the thing that it teaches us about God is that God has the ability to both deliver and to destroy. That's what we learn in the book of Jonah. That God equally has the authority and the ability to deliver or to destroy. And aren't we seeing that played out all through the book of Jonah? That God delivers or he destroys. God can create a plant for protection and he can also destroy that plant. And we talked about this when we talked about the God of judgment, right? Where we talked about how we struggle with the fact that God is glorified in his judgment. But that is who God is. God is the judge of all the earth. And God could do what he sees fit. And I think that's another reason why many of us struggle with God. Because we want to be able to do whatever we want, but we don't want to offer the God who created us and sustains us the same leeway. Isn't that the truth? How many of us right now are upset with God because God did something that you didn't want to have happen? That something went down, you're like, you know, that's why I'm mad. I remember when I was, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, when my mother passed away, I was uh, 20 years old. And I remember after everything was over, and, and, and you know, if you've ever lost somebody really close to you, when it happens, it, it's emotional, but there's so many people there and so many things going on, and it's really about the week after that things really start to settle in because now all the family's gone and everyone's life goes back to normal except your life isn't normal anymore. You know, and I remember I went back up to my apartment at, at, at college where I was and I remember I just got into bed. It's like I got in my apartment, I just fully closed, just got into bed. I'm like, that's it. I'm out. I, I mean, if this is how life is, who needs it? Right? And then I'll never forget because I wasn't a believer at the time. I wasn't like, I'm angry at God. I'm like, if this is what life looks like, then life's a drag. And, and I'm just going to sit here in my bed. I'm not going to do anything because if this is the way it goes, this is the way it goes. Right? But beautifully, I just could hear my mom yelling at me in my ears. What are you doing? You know, and so I got up and dragged myself through life for a long time. But I bring that up because I think many of you you're angry at God because God has purposes and plans that you don't understand. And you want all the ability to choose whatever you want, but you don't want to give God the perfect God the same leeway. And this is exactly what God's trying to teach Jonah. See, God is trying to use this plant that protects him. And this worm that destroyed the plant that protects him. And this east wind to say, Jonah, I'm trying to teach you about you and me. 
See, this is the point of life. Listen, I have to tell you this. So important. The point of life is not going to high school so you can go to college, so you can go to graduate school, because now a master's degree is the new high school diploma, right? And then you have to get a job, mostly because you had to pay off all that student loan debt, right? And you spend half your life working to pay off your student loan debt, and you spend the other half of your life saving up enough money so that you can retire so that you can master Pinochle or watch every single uh, episode of 19 Kids and Counting or the Kardashians, you sinners, or whatever it is that you like. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like the point of life is not just to get to the next step so that you can croak, because what that teaches you is that every step is to get you to the next step, and really the only thing you do is you're always working for the next thing so that you can die. Because nobody's content. Everybody in high school, I can't wait to get to college. I can't wait to work. Right? And then you start working, like, I can't wait to retire. <laughs> right? And, and then you retire, and you're like, I can't wait to do anything but be retired. And we live a life that we're always looking for the next thing, and the thing never gets there. And I'm here to tell you, that is not the point of life. The point of life is not always being on this step, waiting for the next step. The point of life is that everything in our lives is meant to teach us who God is and who we are. God, who are you and who am I? And you look at all through the Gospels as Jesus walked with the disciples. That's what they're always learning, right? Remember, Jesus says, look, I want you to get in this boat. I want you to go over, right? And, and they go on over, and sure enough, they end up in a big storm, Right? And they're freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and they're just like, Lord, wake up! We're dying! As if Jesus didn't know what was going down, you know? He told him to go, right? And then he wakes up, and he's just like, he tells, peace, be still. No exclamation points in that. So it's not like Jesus was yelling at the storm. He just said, peace, be still. I don't know if he said it with a whisper, or if he said it quietly, but he wasn't screaming it. And everything calmed down, and they thought to themselves, who's that? And they learned that they were without faith. That's what they learned. They learned that they didn't trust. And listen, the circumstances of your life are meant to teach you who God is and what's in your heart. That's why it's there. But so many of us are like, just, I need to get rid of this. Listen, I'm single. I can't wait to be married. You're married. I'm like, I hope that they go home early or whatever, you know? And listen, I make light of it. But listen, I've been around people long enough to realize that a lot of people feel that way. Just looking again, oh, I, I couldn't wait to have kids. We prayed and prayed and prayed, and then we have kids. We're like, I can't wait for them to get out of the house and pay their own way. Right? We need to dial that back and say, God, who are you and who am I? And if, and if you, listen, if you don't get anything out of what we're talking about today, that is the point of your life right now. Every single moment of every single day. God, who are you and who am I? And what I've learned is that when I learn about who God is and who I am, the characteristics of God now teaches me, because of this is who you are and this is who I am, this is how you want to change me. This, this is how you want to change me. Because you're telling me that you are loving and gracious and forgiving, and I am realizing that I have no patience, I'm not that forgiving, I'm kind of snarky, and I'm snotty, and all these things that I am. And it's like, because you're that, and I'm this, God, you want to do this in me. And what that does is that frees you in the life that is in front of you to be in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what you get. 
you get the blessing of God changing you from who you find yourself to be right now to be changed to be more and more like Jesus. You know what's amazing? That's what we really want anyway, isn't it? We all really want to be transformed. We want to be changed. And in Jonah's life, it took having to go to Nineveh, having this plant come up, having a worm eat the plant, and then having this big wind come, and Jonah is experiencing God's personality, but he's not learning the lesson. He doesn't get it. He just sees it all as a bummer. He was happy with the provision of the plant. He was bummed out by the disappearance of the plant. And then with the strong, vehement east wind, Jonah's just like, it is just better not to be here. And look at how this closes out, verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity the Ninevites or pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? You see what God does with Jonah? He comes back to the question he asked Jonah in the beginning. Is it right for you to be angry? See, you see how this is why I could say that life is the lesson that God wants to give us, that it's the curriculum. It's, it's the lessons he wants to teach because he comes back to the very same question in verse 4, but now God has given Jonah an object lesson. He's like, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then God starts to explain it to him. He's like, look, that plant... It came up in the night. It was gone in the night. You didn't do anything for it. And Jonah's like, it is. Yeah, my anger is justified, Lord. <laughs> How many of you right now are thinking that? God, my anger is justified. It's okay for me to be torqued about this thing. But then look at what God says, verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 100,000 or 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much cattle. So you know what this teaches us? God loves people. That's what we learn. God loves people. God loves the Ninevites. He's not angry. He's not like, I just can't wait to get rid of the Ninevites. He's like, no, no, no. You were upset about a plant that you didn't do anything for. It popped up and it was gone in a day. Should I not pity that city of Nineveh? Because God's like, look, I labored for them. They are created in my image and likeness, even though I didn't even realize it. See, we learn that God loves people. And I'm here to tell you that God-loving people is the central message of the Bible. That there is a God, and that God loves people. See, it's interesting. He says, there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left. Now, that's a Hebrew way of saying they don't have a moral compass. They're like children. They don't know what is right and what is wrong. They don't even realize it. Now, 
Many people who follow Jesus. Now, I want to speak specifically to those of you like, I'm a Christian. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. You are horrified by some of the stuff that you see going on in the world. And rightly so. There's a lot of horrible stuff going on in the world. But God says that I pity this people of Nineveh because they don't realize. See, oftentimes, people who love Jesus judge the behaviors of people who don't love Jesus when realistically, without the Spirit of God, people don't know any better. Listen, I'm totally in that camp. I look at my history, didn't grow up in a Christian family, didn't grow up hearing the gospel. I mean, I was involved in all sorts of stuff at a very young age that I didn't even know was wrong until I put my faith and trust in Jesus and the Spirit of God got in me, and all of a sudden I'm like, what am I doing? Had no clue. Was completely, completely outside of understanding anything that could honor God. I had no clue in the world. If you would have told me now 16 years ago that some of those things were wrong, I'd be like, what's wrong with it? It comes so naturally. And listen, I... (laughs) If there was a category in my high school yearbook, most likely never to become a Christian, I probably would have won that one. They didn't have that category. But if they would have, I have a friend who's a missionary. They end up after high school. And I said to him, like, why didn't you ever share the gospel with me? They're like, listen, if there's one person who wasn't going to receive the gospel, it was you, Fusco. So they said, I'm just like, <laughs> if I would have known, I would be like, Jonah. <laughs> but but ser- seriously, See, you can't expect godly ethics, behaviors, desires from people who don't know Jesus. Now, that doesn't excuse it. But it's one thing when someone does something wrong and they know it's wrong. It's another thing when they don't realize that it's wrong. And we, as followers of Jesus, need to be able to make that distinction with our culture Because the reason they don't think some of these things are wrong is because the Spirit of God isn't in them. There's all sorts of things that I believe now that I never would have believed, but the reason I believe it is because the Spirit of God within me says, no, 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 Fusco, you don't get it yet. And so if you're in here and you love Jesus, you have to realize God loves to save the lost. He loves to. He loves people. God saved you when you were lost. He saved me when I was lost. I mean, listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus is The circumstances of our lives are meant to teach us about who God is and who we are in Him. Maybe we don't like where we are in life, but God will use it for His purpose. And we should be looking to Him to show us His character and how He can change us. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. 
We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel begins a new study as we continue to embrace and learn from God's Word. God used Jonah's circumstances to transform him, and he can do the same for you. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 